Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, when I first became a pastor, I took a lot of walks through large urban emergency rooms. My congregation and I lived in a small town 30 miles outside of Houston, a small Texas town, but most important medical cases from our community were sent up to the Texas Medical Center in Houston, the largest and best complex of hospitals in the world. In fact, it is what, in fact, it is like Manhattan in a way, in the fourth largest city in America. You pay $10 to park your car for two hours, and then you walk through tunnels, overhead pedestrian walkways and concourses, and several blocks later and several elevator rides later, you reach the patient's hospital bed. Those emergency room waiting rooms in Houston are huge, with literally dozens or hundreds of people in them. Heart attacks, car accidents, strokes, rabies bites, seizures, suicide attempts, shootings and stabbings, and rape, and domestic violence, life-threatening pregnancies, complicated deliveries. And I walked through those waiting rooms and those corridors wearing my clerical collar. And every eye was fixed on me. They wanted some hope. They wanted some perspective. They wanted someone to listen, someone to care, someone to pray in the darkest moments of their lives. Until you've been there, sisters and brothers, until you've stood there wearing a collar, you have not understood the spiritual hunger of this world. You haven't. A clerical collar like mine sometimes translates as child molester or male hierarchy or grand inquisitor. But you know what? In the emergency room, people are terrified and they are desperate. And when you've stood in that crowd wearing a clerical collar, you may fully begin to understand what Jesus said in today's gospel when he sent out the 70, not the 12 because that wasn't enough. He sent out 70 and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are more people out there who need comfort and healing and care than we can ever possibly touch. Pray for help, Jesus said. Pray for help. Last week, I was pushing my cart through Costco. I ran into a lady from our church. I'm a nosy person. And so I looked in her cart. And she had about 15 pounds of corn tortillas. And I said, are you having a party? Because I was upset that she was having a big me Mexican fiesta and hadn't invited me. And she said, Pastor, I'm working today at the ICS food pantry as a volunteer. And they've completely run out of food. 80 qualified families appeared yesterday and cleaned us out. I took my lunch break to spend my own time and my own dollars to buy some groceries. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ten years ago, on September 11, 2001, 
the United States of America was hurled into the emergency room. The USA was wounded and shocked and angry and weeping with tears. I believe that the church has been called to a pastoral task, whether we want to be or not. The church is wearing the collar in the ER waiting room, whether we are prepared for that job or not. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The church in America sometimes fails to understand her role because the churches in America confuse themselves sometimes with America. Part of the uniqueness of our Lutheran heritage is our doctrinal position that the nation and the church are separate. The church lives by a higher standard. When we confuse the nation and the church, we either expect too much of the nation or we lower the role and the duty of the church. No matter who walks through that door, no matter how awful the sinner, no matter how awful the sin, the church must and will offer that person God's grace and forgiveness in word and sacrament, end of discussion. If we fail, we cease to be the church. By definition, according to Lutheran doctrine, the church is where God's grace is offered in word and sacrament, anything else, and it's not the true church of Jesus Christ. Article 7 of the Augsburg Confession, end of discussion. We live by a higher standard. The government does not live by that standard. The government is not a Christian. The government is not the church. This is the mistake that so many make. Christians are called to a life of self-sacrifice. No nation or government exists to die for the sake of others. The church is different. When we understand that, we do well. When we fail to understand that, we can make dreadful errors in our judgment. And when the church of the Lord Jesus goes astray, what real hope is there for the world? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You and I are ill-equipped in this desperate world, this emergency room, waiting room. It is as though there are 5,000 hungry people staring at us, and we have five loaves and two fish. Our pastoral work is great. The first thing we must do is to speak of God's constancy. Our Jewish ancestors knew of God's never-ending glory, which delivered them time and again. That is their primary story. One of the least of their prophets, Habakkuk, put it this way. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, although the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. 
Habakkuk, or the psalmist, the psalmist who put it this way, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. And that psalm was paraphrased by the great Christian poet Isaac Watts as, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. The church's first pastoral task is to bear witness to God's constancy above the fray Beyond the clanging gong of mankind's foolishness always lies the truth which judges us, the mercy which nurtures us, the God of Abraham and Isaac, of Jacob and Joseph. The second part of the pastoral task is peacemaking. In our tradition, preachers often make a distinction between peacemaking and peace keeping. Police officers are often called peacekeepers. The government keeps the peace. I dare say that the first duty of government is to keep peace, but governments cannot make peace. A police officer can perhaps keep a husband and a wife from killing each other, but no government can help a husband and wife love one another. Peacemaking is the longest and hardest part of the pastoral task of the church in our society. The church is busy today with healing the wounds of the American Civil War. 150 years after that war, churches are still building bridges, helping people to let go of their grudges, fostering respect and understanding. 150 years later, An army can force a peaceful settlement, but there must be peace in the hearts of humankind. And in the case of just one war, a war of brother against brother in our country, the peacemaking task of the church continues 150 years after the Civil War. Jesus laid it all out in the Sermon on the Mount, the most challenging statement of what it means to be Christian. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the Sermon on the Mount the cost of discipleship. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Sounds sweet. And then he goes on to lay out the price of peace. I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to save you and to sue you and take you to court, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? The government and the nation and the politicians do not make peace. 
The police and the army and the navy and the air force do not make peace. They can keep peace. They can halt violence when they're lucky. It is the pastoral task of the church to make peace. Can it be done? Can it be done? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus says in today's gospel, sending us out into the emergency room, waiting room. He says, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Did you think that this was going to be easy? Men and women, when you looked up at that cross and saw his agony and his blood and his sweat, the price of your victory, did you expect that your victory would be free of pain and loss? The third and final part of the pastoral task of the church involves what the politicians call civility. The church must demonstrate the character and integrity articulated by Martin Luther in his small catechism concerning the Eighth Commandment. Luther wrote, and we've made confirmation students memorize for 500 years, we are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor betray or slander them or destroy their reputations. Instead, we are to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light. How long ago did you say something about the Republicans or the Democrats that wasn't soaked in spite? When was the last time you passed along bad things that Islam has done without also pointing out the good things or without also pointing out the catalog of Christian violence. Ten years ago, the United States was unified. Today, the United States is divided, embittered, and nearly bankrupt. It's been said that Osama bin Laden got what he wanted only once we Americans decided to do it to ourselves. The Ten Commandments require us to not bear false witness, to not trade lies and gossip and rumors and slander, to not fan the fires of bitterness. The pastoral task of the church is to have integrity and character, to reframe the issues constructively. Paul was talking about you and me, I think, when Paul wrote, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Our pastoral task requires us to rise above the flesh the biting, the devouring, and the consuming of each other, and to love one another. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The Tucson Chamber Artists commissioned a new piece to be performed this afternoon for the first time down at Centennial Hall for the 10th anniversary. And one of the prayers that they asked one of America's leading composers to set to music is the prayer attributed to Francis of Assisi. 
Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are in pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. That is the pastoral task that 9-11 has placed before the church, the true church, the living body of Jesus Christ, the people of God, the people of the great book of faith, the pilgrim people making our way through the wilderness to the promised land, Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Jesus sent them out like lambs into wolves, but they came back. They came back and Jesus said that in their work, Satan had been permanently defeated. Our pastoral task is difficult, but not impossible. Our ancestors and all the saints have done it before. Today, the nation remembers its heroes and the nation remembers its dead. We remember them, but we also remember our task and the one who sends us out to be what Isaiah called a blessing in the midst of the earth. Amen.